This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 216 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy? What? I don't know. I just figured you had more to say. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have some fun tonight. Okay. I found one of those rare little gems of a story that I, I would bet most people haven't heard of, unless you're probably from the area of the story. Mm-hmm. But first, we obviously want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you're taking care of. Thank you guys and gals and dogs for everything that you do to keep everybody safe out there. Yes, God bless you guys. Keep on praying, and thank you for keeping us safe. Yeah, big shout out to everybody helping us during the COVID times, all you guys that are on and gals on the front line. Thank you for all your hard work and the extra hours you have to put in. I know. We appreciate you all so much. Obviously, we want to let everybody know that if they're struggling right now, they're in a time of need, to please send us a message. If you need to talk to somebody, go into our Facebook group and um, obviously just leave a message. You'll get tons of support right off the bat. And, you know, it's it's a crazy time right now, Tracy. we got a lot of things going on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, we tell people it doesn't matter what time of the night it is or mm-hmm. what day of the week it is. Send us a message because, you know, people are on different schedules there yeah, you know time zones too. and i had a message last night from from a listener and we it was twelve thirty here and i just happened to have my phone looking at it for something uh as we were already in bed and i and i got a message on instagram from somebody that just said simply what happens if you just don't want to go on Aww. and so obviously i took the time to uh talk to this person and you know at the end they said they were very happy that, you know, they needed this pep talk mm-hmm. and they felt better about stuff. And obviously, you know, I gave this person contact information so they could reach us anytime they needed to. Well, good. But I mean, it's just, it goes to show you just, you never know what little thing you could say to help somebody. Right. And and trust me, I didn't say a ton, but it was just enough to show that, hey, I care and I support you. Very good, babe. And But that's, you know, like I said, that's that's all everybody can do. Mm-hmm. Any anybody can do that. If you know somebody might be struggling, reach out to them. Don't wait for them to reach out to you. It never hurts if you know somebody's going through some trouble to just call them up and say, you know, hey, I know things have been tough right now. I just want, wanted you to know I'm thinking about you. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best thing you can do for sure. So. But, you know, if you would rather um, call the hotline, it's 800-273-8255. You can also text them at 741-741, but just remember, we are all here for you, and we love you very much. Real quick before we get into the show, just want to remind everybody that 
Hillbilly Horror Stories is sponsored by El Yucateco Hot Sauce. Mmm. Top 10 of all hot sauces in the country and number one habanero-based hot sauce. Very, very good. Tasty. They are absolutely tasty. They got seven different flavors. Five are habanero-based. They have a chipotle and a jalapeno. Those are the two mildest of the uh, the hot. But even the hot is full more flavor than hot, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's no, it spicy. Makes sense. It's got kick. But they are hashtag king of flavor. And you can get them at most major retail grocery stores. Walmart and Target carry a bunch of them. We've had a bunch of people posting pictures where they got it and some at uh, some of their favorite restaurants mm-hmm. where it's on, uh, not on tap, because that would be crazy to have <laughs> hot sauce on tap. I but am- you can get it anywhere. And if for some reason your local grocer does not carry it, you can check them out at com. Why can't you put it on tap? You could take it like a, maybe not tap, but you could do a shot. That would be, um, that would be rough. That would be rough. Ah. So, but anyways, if you guys, if you guys go out and buy some, please take a picture, put it on Instagram and tag us and El Yucateco. They, uh, they love to see that and that helps them know that you guys are listening and buying the product and it mm-hmm. helps us keep being sponsored. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you guys for doing what you're doing. Yeah, you so many have sent pictures. It's awesome. And, and uh, we've tagged really them cool. and I'm sure they're probably getting tired of us tagging them now. I'm sure they're not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you ready for this story? Yes, sir. So in my search to find some subjects that we haven't done before, I ran across a place that had a really cool story behind it. And not only had I never heard of it, but I also had plenty of info so we could do a good full episode on it. And it's unusual for these virtually unknown places that you run across. So I'm excited to tell this story tonight. Oh, all righty. Tonight we are going to Butte, Montana. Butte? Like B-E-U-T? B-U-T-T-E. Ow. So it's butt with an E. (laughs) That would be buddy. The city of Butte is in Silver Bow County, and in 1977, they decided to combine the city and the county governments, and I'm sure you're saying, why the hell do I care that they combined the governments? Well, I'm telling you this because I don't think that you care that they combined the governments, but I wanted you to know how tonight's topic got its name, the Butte Silver Bow Courthouse. So it's the Butte and Silver Bow together because the counties and and i also understand too i don't obviously i'm not from the area somebody out there that listens Mm -hmm. can tell me they said also that part of butte that there's a little uh, neighborhood i guess also called silver bow within the city so the county is silver silver bow and then you have butte is the city the main city and then you also have a um, neighborhood named silver bow as well so interesting The courthouse that is there now was built in 1911. It's gorgeous. Ooh. It looks just like you would think a courthouse from 1911 would look at. I mean, it's just decked to the hilts. No kidding. Yeah. I don't even know if it's a word, decked to the hilts, but I said it. You did. So, I'm on it. Can't take it back. There's several different stories of hauntings attached to it. And we're going to discuss those later in the episode as far as the newer ones. The focus tonight is going to be on the haunting of the old courthouse that isn't there anymore. Oh, it's not? No. This courthouse was built in 1911. Mm-hmm. And the old courthouse burnt down. Oh. Yeah. Causing the new one to be built. There you go. The haunting events were so big in the early 1900s that the local newspaper did a story on them. 
You know it's got to be big if the newspaper's doing the story yeah. of your haunting. Oh, my gosh. All these ghost stories started with the hanging of a prospector by the name of Miles Fuller. Now, Miles Fuller had been executed at 5 a.m. on May 18, 1906. The execution happened on property of the jail and the courthouse right there. So you had the courthouse, you had the jail, and mm-hmm. you had a jail courtyard in between the two. And that's where they put They the, did the hangings? Yeah, they would put up a temporary scaffold, do the hanging, and take it down. I bet they help. They didn't have to do that very much. I don't know. I don't know how much they had to do it. I mean, you're talking about Montana in the late 1800s, 1900s, early 1900s. There was probably a lot of horse thieves and stuff like that. So they probably did it more than you would realize. Yeah. So why was Miles Fuller executed? His crime, he killed a fellow prospector by the name of Henry Callahan. Henry had been making threats about this prop. I lost my place. Henry had been making threats to Callahan because he felt that he was interfering with his mining operation. So when Callahan was found dead, police made Fuller their number one suspect. And one of the ways that they actually confirmed it was him is Fuller had a nail in one of his shoes. Oh. So when he walked, it made this strange mark in the dirt. And they were able to follow that from Callahan's body all the way to Fuller's cabin. And arrested him. How in the world did they do that? I mean, it must have been really obvious. So I mean, God, it had to be a big nail. I guess. Well, I mean, nails were probably bigger back then. Look at some of those railroad spikes and stuff. Well, surely that didn't go through his shoes. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> that would yeah, suck. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure he didn't have a railroad spike <laughs> in his shoe. <laughs> so the police were 100% convinced that Miles Fuller was guilty. And uh, even though they, they had overwhelming evidence, Miles never confessed to the murder. So this article that I'm going to be telling a lot of the story from came out on October 17th of 1909, and it was called The Butte Miner, and the gentleman who wrote it was Charles Degelman, and that's a hard name. Degelman? Degelman. D-E-G-E-L. Oh. I'm assuming that's a hard G. It could be Degelman, but I think it's Degelman. So the title, they had very long titles back then. (laughs) Did they? Yes. The title is... Is a murderer's ghost haunting the Butte County Jail? And then there was a couple of really long subheadings, uh, one of which said, Object in human form, supposed to be jail yard intruder, vanishes in the air before the eyes of the officers. That's a little wordy. Well, <laughs> <laughs> That's almost a daggone paragraph. <laughs> Deputy sheriffs and others cannot be shaken from the belief that they have frequently seen spirits from Miles Fuller. That was also a subheading. So all this was the title of the subheading. Oh my goodness, what the heck? They don't know about shortcuts? Yeah, most of what we're going to talk about is going to come from that article. Several of the witnesses interviewed said that they saw visible manifestation of disembodied spirits and had no guess as to how this could happen other than being supernatural. So let's remember, these were members of law enforcement, and they were used to using logic to solve crimes. So Mm -hmm. when they would see something, they automatically started trying to rule stuff out. Right. And they went to the most most logical assumption that it was, you know, a prankster or something of that nature. But... I'm still impressed by the nail thing. (laughs) Of course you are. I mean, seriously, think about how... how, Who would have even thought that? Well, but, I mean, I'm assuming most of this stuff was around there was probably dirt. 
Okay, I get it. it but... You know, so I mean, if you happen to just see one footprint and the other footprint, it looks completely different where it's like dragging the dirt or maybe it's digging into the dirt. So every time you took a step, you had a footprint, but a, a section that was like dug into, you could tell something had to be sticking in the shoe to make the print like that. I just think it's amazing that they thought it to even do that and how long it took them to get to that place to figure out it was him. I think it's amazing that Freddie's in the next room meowing his ass off because he wants out. Oh. I think the guy should have took the stupid nail out of his boot. Throw it away to evidence. I don't think he would have ever thought that nail would have. We've spent way too much time on this nail. I'm sorry. Okay. So let's move ahead. <laughs> let's get back to Fuller's execution. Some things that happened that day were a little bit peculiar. And I say that because... Keep in mind, this is an execution where they had sent out invitations and a lot of people showed up. Oh, my gosh. I cannot even imagine that. <laughs> Would so, you come to my execution party? <laughs> <laughs> so after after the execution happened, Fuller's body was taken off of the scaffold. put into, That is not how you say that. It's what? scaffold, not scaffold. Okay. We'll agree to disagree. All right. Go ahead. He was taken off the scaffold and was placed into the coffin. So at this point, they need six people to volunteer to be pallbearers so they can put the casket onto the wagon so it can be taken to the undertaker. They didn't waste no time. Well, I guess they don't have to have layout like they do these days. Well, <laughs> they I mean, just they, saw it they're done. They're it to the undertaker so he could do all that. Mm. So, I mean, they're, you know, they're not taking him straight to the cemetery. They're True, taking him to the I guess, yeah. And... In order to have this happen, they need some people to put it, help put it up on the wagon. And normally, they don't have any problem having people come up and help them. You know, you got a big audience full of people. Somebody, yeah, what the hell? We need help. But why does he have to go to the Undertaker? I have no idea. Well, like, why sir, wouldn't he have to go to the Undertaker? Well, why would he? Everybody's already saw him be dead. Well, he's got to be prepared for burial. He's still a person. Hmm. So. Okay. So that's like saying if somebody jumped off a roof and everybody saw him die, what's the point of sending them to the morgue? Well, that's not true of today, but I'm saying back in the day, it's just it should be a done deal. Well, that's not their job to bury people, so it had to go to the person that's that is their. Well, job. that does make sense. Sorry. So they took him to the Undertaker. I think Jake the Snake and the other wrestlers weren't available. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> see, you've got me completely off track. I'm sorry. Anyways, I'm curious. There was people, so they asked for six volunteers, and they couldn't find six. People, oh, stop! People for whatever reason, even though it was never an issue before with, with uh, executions to get six volunteers, people were very superstitious for some reason when it came to Miles Fuller, and they eventually found six people, but it took some doing because well, they, that is bizarre. Well, people out here felt like that. As mean as this guy was in real life, because mm-hmm. he was known to just be a jerk. Mm-hmm. As mean as he was, they felt like that if anybody could come back and haunt you, this that would be it the would guy. be him. It would be him, and I think that was what the main the main uh. issue was. So they find six, they pick the casket up, they get ready to load it onto the wagon. They say that this was it wasn't really clear outside that mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. but it wasn't going to rain. It yeah. just was kind of cloudy, you know, cloudy. But for some reason, a loud thunder clap happened right as they were getting ready to low, put lift the casket onto the wagon. So loud that it took everything the men had because they were so startled 
because it didn't look like it was going to rain or thunder or anything, that this came out of the blue and it scared all of them to the point where they almost dropped the casket. So... And it was just that one, and then it didn't do it again. I guess it's easier just to haunt the six people that did the casket other than the hotel that didn't volunteer. Well, I guess that's kind of what they figured. But... Did it scare the horses off? I don't don't know about if it scared the horses. I bet it did. (laughs) How do, you, how do you always think of something? <laughs> <sighs> okay. I worry. Uh, I know you do. So after Fuller's burial, his apparition was sighted in various parts of the jail yard, including the exact spot where the scaffolding was set up. Oh, man. Most of the sightings, though, took place in the room that uh, the sheriff deputies lived in, and this room was about 30 feet from where the hanging took place, and it opened up into the courtyard. So it would open up, and you're standing 30 feet from where the scaffolding was. Mm. This actual room was obviously on the ground floor of the jail building. So all of the deputies in the room started to have these strange experiences that they assumed was the work of a practical joker. That's what you would think your police officers are not thinking ghost. The question was, why were most of these strange things and appearances of Miles Fuller in this particular room? Well, most people assume it's because there was a scrapbook that was being kept in that room that had a copy of the invitation to the hanging with Miles Fuller and his picture on it. There was a piece of rope from the hanging, and there was a little black square piece of cloth that had been cut out of the hood that was placed on Miles Fuller's head right before the trap door was released, dropping him to his death. He's probably like, look at these bitches. <laughs> Maybe. Putting all this stuff out here and just having a good time with it. These items were given to Deputy Tom Mokehi. It's just like the uh, the Father Mokehi off of uh, Mash. Mash. Yeah, same thing. But they were given to him from ex-Sheriff J.J. Quinn, because his administration is the one that actually presided over the execution. These guys just came in after the fact. At first, Mokehi was happy to have these items, but not so much after a few ghostly visits from Miles Fuller. The only reason that he didn't throw them away is he said he was afraid of being ridiculed and made fun of by the other deputies. (laughs) (laughs) He even joked that if Fuller wanted to have the items, he should take them on his next visit. He did say, though, that he received so many visits from Fuller that he became less and less fearful of him. Yeah. So I would say so. I mean, it's been my experiences in the past. He said that he didn't believe Fuller could actually take the scrapbook, even if he wanted to, seeing as he was a ghost and all. He obviously hasn't seen, been aware of all these stories about how ghosts pick stuff up and move well, it from uh, yeah, one location he to been? the other. <laughs> well, he's going to find out different. Oh, Nice. Mulcahy also stated that he became irritated when anyone questioned the validity of what he had been saying that he saw. No, so nobody believed him. Well, some people wouldn't. You can imagine some people would say he was full of crap. Yeah, I can understand that. So just what exactly did he see? So let's get into this. Here's how Mulcahy described his initial sightings and most of the ones after. So the first time it came in sort of a foggy, dim light through the window. Okay, he said he screamed and jumped up and turned on the light. This woke up another deputy that was sleeping in the room by the name of Fritz Hugo. Now, Fritz was a sound sleeper, apparently, and didn't wake up very easily. He did wake up now, but he didn't see anything, because by the time he woke up, 
Okay, he already had the lights on and everything, mm-hmm. so nothing was there. Fritz said that he had never seen anything, but he had felt someone pull the blankets off of him and a slight breeze over his face. He assumed that this was Mokehi playing some kind of a prank on him until it happened several times when nobody else was in the room. Uh, that's annoying, man. Quit messing with him. He's trying to sleep. Mokehi said that he had never had any experiences with ghosts before this account. He also said that he was not superstitious. Go ahead. No, I'm listening. I figured you were going to say he's a little stitious. No. <laughs> I'm too slow for that today. One of the nights that the ghost paid a visit, another deputy by the name of Mike Friel was awoken. He saw the same image and he also screamed. So we got to think. Yeah. Like that? I don't know if that's how I did it. <laughs> Shortly after, as a matter of fact, a week before the newspaper article was actually written, Mike Friel was killed in a rather freak accident. What the heck happened? Well, Mike was a very experienced hunter, and he was out duck hunting with some friends when he accidentally walked right in front of a shotgun that had just been fired towards a duck. How in the heck could that timing have been like that? Right, and the more superstitious people out there thought that Mike might have been cursed by Miles Fuller. Mike had been a deputy for a while, and some strange things happened right in this in this time frame. So right after he saw Miles Fuller, he got into a fight with uh, an inmate, which was something you just didn't do. It was like it wasn't like he broke something up or the inmate was doing mm-hmm. something. It just had. It was like he got into a fight with the guy, and that cost him his job. So he lost his job. And then shortly after, he's killed out there with the shotgun. So, the, like all of his em- the employees that worked with him thought, this is an experienced guy. This was so out of character for him to lose his control and get into a fight with an inmate. Right. He knew better. And then a week later, he walks in front of a shotgun by accident. So, you could see why some people thought, eh, maybe there was, you know, something going on that could have been a curse. But I the wonder, others just said it was bad luck. It's a coincidence. I bet that hunter was pissed, man. Probably. Them, she, them duck hunters don't play. <laughs> He's like, what the heck, man? That would have been so, so horrible for that for that hunter for real. Oh, of course. Oh, my gosh. Okay, he said that he didn't know why Fuller would have you know, anything against Mike Frill because Mike had nothing to do with his execution. Right. The only thing that he could figure is that on one occasion that Mike saw the ghost, he pulled his gun out as if he was going to shoot the ghost, which, as he stated, it's not like you're going to be able to shoot a ghost. Yeah. But he said when you're a police officer and you're used to having your gun beside you, mm-hmm. that's your instinct is if something happens is to grab your gun. Right. You don't stop to think, oh, it's a ghost. I can't shoot it. It's just. Well, who the hell would think that? Right. Yeah. You get you get you get something pop up that that could be a threat to your life and you just immediately grab your gun Mm -hmm. so he said but that's what happened but he said after that there were several different times when fuller's ghost came in and it would look over towards mike's empty bed even when he wasn't there and make an ugly face towards the bed he said you could see this ghost good enough to be able to tell now that's just rude (laughs) what do you gotta be like that for so Mulcahy said it doesn't surprise him that Fuller is such a nasty spirit 
because he was such a horrible person in, person life. in real life. And they said that the, the murder against Henry Callahan was absolutely dreadful. He said you could tell it was personal. He shot and killed him and then ran up and cut his throat with a big knife after he had died from the gunshot wound. Aww. So that right there showed him that it was a more of a personal type thing because he was already dead and he still went up and slit his throat. That is the saddest thing ever. What the heck, man? Why's everybody got to try to be an overachiever? <laughs> so the other question is, why is everybody so convinced that this is Miles Fuller's ghost? Mainly the description. The ghost bears a striking resemblance to Fuller in size. And also, he had long gray whiskers, just the same as Miles Fuller always had on. Mm -hmm. Also, he is seen with a hood on with a square cut out of it. So he's got the hood on. Think, Picture this. He's got the hood on, but you can see the beard coming out from underneath of it. But he's missing a square out of it. Because remember, there's a square of it cut and yeah. put in the scrapbook. Now he doesn't. Ah. Ha- he doesn't have the hood on all the time, but he does have it on sometimes. Oh, that's him. And here's the other funny thing: is okay. He said that there was times when he saw him, where he had the missing square, he had the hood, and he also had the rope. Part of the rope was still around his neck. Oh my gosh, that is so him. Yeah. <laughs> So Mulcahy said that he kept the scrapbook in a bureau drawer. And he also had a bunch of other stuff. Apparently, this Mulcahy used to um, do something with horse racing uh-huh. over in England before this, before he came over here and did this. And uh, so he had all kinds of, of uh, newspaper articles and stuff where uh-huh. he was involved with the horse racing. So he kept that in his scrapbook along with the the rope and, the, and all that stuff, the invitation and all that. I just don't know why anybody would want to keep that in a scrapbook. So he's got it. He's got it in this bureau drawer. And he said one evening there was a few of the officers thought that they heard some someone going through the drawer. They flip on the lights real quick, and the drawer is completely open, but nothing was missing out of it. Mike Frill. This is before he got killed, obviously. Mike Frill claims that he knows for a fact that that drawer was closed when he went to bed, mm-hmm. but. Nothing was moved out of it. And so they, you know, all they know is the drawer was open and they heard something, but there's no sign mm-hmm. that anybody had been in the room. So Mulcahy he decided that he was going to take the book and he put it under his pillow. He said not a minute after laying back down, he felt something tug at the book. He grabbed the book and he held on to it. And he said he's convinced that had he not grabbed onto that book, that it would have been gone. And there was nobody in the room other than some other deputies. That's crazy. He also said that there was another deputy that made him swear to not mention his name involving the incident. But Mulcahy had to go uptown to do some business. He was going to be gone for a little bit. And this deputy was all tucked into his bed. And Mulcahy said, hey, do you want me to turn the light off? And Mm -hmm. the guy kind of laughed. And he said, of course. (laughs) And so he turns the light off. He goes, does his business in town. He comes back. He was gone about 20 minutes. He said when he gets back to the room, the deputy is already half-dressed and is hurriedly putting on the rest of his clothes. And he's like, what's up? And he's like, dude, I am out of here. I've had enough ghosts for one night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And he's, what happened? And he's like, well, he said, when you left, I got up and I locked the door just to make sure you couldn't come in, prank me or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And he said he had just laid down and he felt something or someone grab his neck. And he said, then he felt a piece of cloth and a piece of rope touching on his face. <laughs> now, I'm okay. He hadn't told anybody that he had seen the spirit with the hood uh -huh. and the rope. So this guy felt the cloth of the hood and the felt the rope without ever being told anything about that. Yeah, I'd been out of there too, buddy. He said he got up, he turned on the light, make sure nobody was in the room and that nothing had, nobody had tampered with the door and the window. And then he just started getting dressed to make his way out of there. So I thought that was pretty cool. Another big sighting of Fuller's ghost was initially by a janitor by the name of Henry Woodthorpe. Woodthorpe. What? That sounds professional, not it? Mm -hmm. Henry Woodthorpe. He was working in the rear of the jail, and he saw this man kind of prowling around the jail. And thinking that there was maybe an escaped prisoner, he went out and told the deputies, and three deputies and himself went out trying to find this guy. They couldn't find anybody. There's a solid brick wall that was all the way around the prison, so there's no way anybody could have gotten out that quick. Mm -hmm. After checking a little more around the location, they figured that they must have seen something. But Henry Woodthorpe says he knows what he saw, and it was a man with whiskers running around the outside mm -hmm. of the jail. He said he watched him for several seconds. It was plain as day. So it is what it is. Yeah. Do you want to hear about some more recent sightings? And by recent, this, some of these go back, but you got to keep in mind as these will be all in the new courthouse next. Are you ready to hear about some of those? Sure. All right. I'll tell you about the new ones right after this quick break from our sponsor. The big question here, Tracy, is could the happenings today at the courthouse be that of Miles Fuller? I don't know why not. Well, he's, I mean, he's he's been out there making himself known. Well, it's doubtful. No apparitions that are sighted at the jail today have been described as having a beard. And every sighting of Miles Fuller had him with a beard. Maybe shaved. One rumor is that the current ghost is that of a headless miner, but there's nothing to back that up that I could find. A headless miner? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where that came from, but that's one of the things. I didn't see any accounts of, of someone seeing a ghost that was missing any crucial body parts. So, <laughs> Well, the head's pretty crucial, yeah. so I'm just saying. Back in the early 1990s, though, there was a payroll supervisor by the name of Rick Soto, and he said that he had a few encounters. He was working late one evening, and he knew he was the only one in the building other than the night watchman. He said that he was in an area that he worked in. Uh, it was an office, but there was a string of offices, and there was no hallway, so you had to walk from one office to the other office through the other office to get to all of them. And he was in the far office. And he said he was doing some data entry in the first office and out of the corner of his eye, he caught a glimpse of someone walking through all of the offices. Mm -hmm. He could also hear the person's footsteps. He said, as they went through the doorway, you could hear something scrape on the, uh, the door frame as they passed by. He got up to see who it was and he walked into each office, turned the lights on as he went. And when he got to the last office, 
there was no one there. He suddenly was overcome with a strange sensation and got goosebumps. The whole experience really bothered him. So much so that, uh, well, I'll tell you that part of it. So that same night, though, he was leaving his office up on the second floor. He pushed the button for the elevator, and the doors opened, but the elevator was not there. It was just a, a black, empty shaft. Okay. Whoa. <laughs> he decided to take the stairs. Well, yeah. At 100 miles an hour. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah, but Rick said that he remembers one time that they were all at a, at a coffee break, and some of the employees were, were mentioning that Miles Fuller haunts the area between the courthouse and the jail building. Now, this is because there's an underground tunnel that runs between the two. And they say that people have seen Miles Fuller in the tunnel. So then they start asking Rick to describe the ghost that he saw. What did it look like? He described it as a man wearing long boots, light-colored a canvas coat like a miner used to wear, and a hat like an old-time fireman would wear. So one man told him that when the original courthouse had burnt down and they were in the process of building this new one during the construction, a man had accident, had an accident on the premises and was killed during construction. Mm-hmm. So some think that maybe that's the spirit that haunts the, uh, the new courthouse. Rick said that he only saw the spirit once, but after that, whenever he had to work alone, he locked the front door and put a garbage can in front of it so if something opened the door, it would knock the garbage can over and he would at least hear it. Does he not know ghosts walk through walls? That makes a lot of sense. So, but, you know, what are you going to do? Whatever I mean, I mean that's what you think of, I guess, at the time, you know? I mean, it's so different than, like, when we go to one of these scary places and you drag me in there with you, you won't go by yourself. What, do you think two of us are going to hurt a ghost? Well, that's very true. So the Montana Standard. But I could rub your head and make a wish to get out of there. Um, I'm not redheaded. So, the Montana Standard. No, but you're bald. Did a story on the courthouse hauntings, and they featured Rick's story. He said that the employees there at the Butte Courthouse had a lot of fun at his expense because of how scared he was of the (laughs) ghost when the article came out. Uh, There was another person, though, that was interviewed by the newspaper, and it was the night watchman by the name of Gene Griffith. Gene said that he's had more encounters with the spirit than he could even begin to count. He said that he's seen the spirit so many times since 1983 that he considered it a friend. Yeah. Well, that's good. Gene worked for the at the, from the 4 p.m. until midnight shift. And he said one story that he likes to tell it took place in 1991 at the end of August. Gene said that he saw the ghost three times in the same night. Gene said that he was only frightened of the ghost the first few times that he saw it. He said he stared right into the ghost's eyes. And he said he could see through the head. He couldn't really make out any facial features, but he could tell that whatever the entity was could see him as well. That's so scary. Gene believes the ghost is from the 1950s or the 60s. He says the ghost that he sees has a more modern type of clothes to it. So he, he wears uh, cavalry style boots. He's got 
a raincoat on, like an like an old cowboy's raincoat. And he also wears a very wide brim cowboy hat. And he thinks that's part of why it's hard to see his facial features. Mm, well, that probably is. He says it's about six feet tall. So besides seeing the ghost, Gene says that he's heard doors open and close on their own. Footsteps when he knows for a fact there's nobody else in the room. And, of course, the elevator. When the elevator is not in use, it's supposed to be stationed at the first floor. But it often just takes off on its own. It moves from floor to floor without anyone pushing any buttons. It does that about once every six months. It goes from the first floor to the fourth, back to the basement, and then back to the first without fail. Maintenance has looked at this several different times, and they said there's absolutely nothing wrong with the elevator and no reason at all that it should be able to do that on its own, (laughs) especially in that pattern. One time, Rick, we talked about him, the payroll guy, his boss was actually there at the courthouse doing some paperwork, and him and his wife got on the elevator. (laughs) The elevator zoomed to the fourth floor, and then they couldn't get the doors to open. The elevator then went back to the basement, and then it started going up and down, up and down. When it did stop, it was between floors. They frantically started pushing a bunch of buttons, and it wouldn't budge. It then started and stopped again between floors, but it was up enough where they could actually get out of the elevator. Oh, shit. I could be pooping my britches. <laughs> An- another courthouse employee said that the elevator yo-yoed him between floors until it let him loose in the basement. He hadn't planned on getting off in the basement, but he did so because he said he didn't feel like arguing with no spooks. <laughs> so he took the stairs. Oh. There's a law librarian by the name of Joyce Bouchard. She said that she had had her share of experiences there from her third floor workplace. She had had books fall off the shelves for no apparent reasons. Mm-mm. And she said she had a constant feeling of being watched. Another quick story happened with a man uh, that wasn't really associated with the courthouse. So this is actually a little off the property, but not far from there. Back in January of 1973, there was an officer by the name of Larry uh, Maljavac and his partner. They were riding around. It was about 3 o'clock in the morning. They're riding around. It's snowing. It's freezing outside. And they see this empty lot with a cemetery next to it. Mm -hmm. And there's an old man in a wheelchair that's going towards the cemetery. So they, they look back in their mirror and they see him go into the cemetery. And they're not thinking anything of it at first, but then, you know, the, the the officer looks over at his partner and he can see he's got this bewildered look on his face. And he's like, what's wrong? And he says, why is there a man in a wheelchair out at three o'clock in the morning going into a cemetery? Mm-hmm. So they turn around, they go back, see what's up. And they said, there's no wheelchair. There's no sign of the guy. They go up to the gates and they said the gates had a padlock on it that looked like it had been rusted for years, hadn't been opened. Oh. And they said on top of that, all this freshly fallen snow and there was no wheelchair no tracks. tracks anywhere to be found. Bless his heart. So anyways, that's our story on the Butte Silver Bowl That was Courthouse. a good story. I thought so. It was a good, good little story and I'd never heard of it before. No. So. Wow. Very good job, babe. Well, Trace. Well, what? What you got for us over there? 
Well, I am happy to say that we had a bunch of iTunes reviews. All right. Go ahead and give the iTunes reviews. Okay. And then before you give Patreon, I want to uh, chime in. Okay. First of all, we have Bacon Lovers, 1729. Mmm. Who don't love some bacon? Mojo Lobster, Lovey Doll. James X. Keith. And now, I'm just going to spell these because, honestly, I, I don't know what it means. Um, H. Harris, O-D-N-F-R. Katina, 711. Snow Vixen, 13. Fire, 1523. That's funny. The fire would be right after Snow Vixen. I know, right? It's like the heat miser and the smoke miser. <laughs> Jen Castro. Jenny K. White. And the last one is SK, no, S-K-K-W-H-C-H-C-I-S-K-S. I'm sorry, honey. I just didn't know how to, you know, that's how I just read it. Thank you, guys. Your reviews were amazeballs. We appreciate you so much. Yeah, and if you guys have like a, a really crazy kind of um, iTunes name. Like some of the ones on there, they're just letters and stuff. Uh-huh. Put your name at the end of it, and then we'll make sure you get proper credit for leaving your review. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. They were so nice, and it just tickled me to see all those reviews. So we appreciate you all so much, and keep them coming. Our Patreons this week is Stanton, Bachwold, Chrissy Pay, and Sherry Marsh. Thank you guys for your support as well. We love you guys so much, and... Um, just you guys reaching out and leaving reviews and things that means that you know so much to us and we totally um appreciate y'all's support and it means a lot to us as well thanks for letting me chime in in between the two. oh i thought you did chime in no oh <laughs> well chime in we're good we're good i want to make sure that everybody knows that we do have merch available so if that's something you want to do, we do have Patreon available. Uh, we read that, so you obviously know we probably do. But it can save you from commercials. You don't have to listen to the commercials if you mm-hmm. have Patreon. And that's when it starts at a dollar a month. And then you get a couple of bonus episodes. We just did a almost what like a 45-minute long listener stories mm-hmm. bonus episode that we did. And we do a regular full-length episode the 15th of every month. So you get those two. But go check it out if, you, if you've never tried it out. And then we've got... The shorts, you get shorts every single day mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're at a certain level. Well, not every day, six out of seven days. Yeah. But anyways, I just want to remind people that we had that. And also, the important thing is Bobby Mackey on is that October 25th, I believe, which is a Sunday, is still on. So tickets are on sale for those. I know we were kind of holding off and we weren't really talking about it a lot, but that is going to be on. It's a huge place, so we are going to be able to social distance. It'll be just like the Pitch and Forge show to where we'll make sure that we have hand sanitizers and masks on hand and we'll be able to sort everybody out. Like I said, that place, their main floor would seat 200 people easy. Mm-hmm. We're only selling 50 tickets. Yeah. So it's not going to be uh, any kind of a major issue. But there are two types of tickets on sale there. We have $25 tickets. That gets you us, so the show that we're going to do, and it gets you a tour of Bobby Mackey's, an hour-long tour. Mm-hmm. Then there's $10 tickets for sale, and the $10 tickets just gets you us, but and we'll hang out. We're not going to take the tour because we've already taken it like three or four times. 
So we're going to hang out with, with you guys. So you can still sit in there for another hour, but you can hang in there with us and take pictures and talk and ask questions and stuff like that of us. Um, so, but we can only get so many people on a tour because they only have, uh, they can only do 25 person tours. So we're going to do one that starts upstairs, one that starts downstairs at the same time. So you have to, you know, we'll let them do that, but that's why we can't do more tours than that. So those are selling out quick. If you want to get in on the tour, but like I said, for $10, you can just come in and get to at least see the place and uh, hang out with me and Tracy for an hour. Sounds fun. I couldn't wait to meet you guys and see y'all. That's it. That's all we got for you this week. We appreciate it, guys. We all hope you had a nice Labor Day weekend and enjoy your extra day off tomorrow. And we hope you have a blessed week. We love y'all.